Hello and welcome to Stock Talk, a podcast series which brings together livestock specialists, vets and farmers to give you the tools you need to improve your business and embrace the future. Stock Talk is presented by myself, Robert Ramsey, and produced by Kirsten Blackwood as part of the Farm Advisory Service in association with the Scottish Government. So I'm joined today by a friend and colleague, Poppy Freighter. Poppy is a sheep and grazing specialist with SEC Consulting's livestock team. And many of you have heard from Poppy at various webinars, farm, farm meetings and uh, podcasts in the past. But uh, for this purpose today, we're really focusing on sheep and, and where the sheep industry is at just now. So a big welcome to you, Poppy. Hope you're well. Thanks for having me. No, a pleasure. And Poppy, could you give us just to start with a wee rundown and roughly what your day-to-day work involves? Because you've got quite a unique position within the company. Yeah, um, I tend to be more on the production end. I tend to be working with farmers looking to reduce cost of production through better grazing management. Um, so I have a couple of Farmax discussion group, or it goes under the brand Graze Up. Um, and what we do is we look at the farm, like grass supply and feed demand and then economics to work out what their best um, strategies are going forward to utilise grass and to deliver the product as cost effectively as possible. Um, I am currently going around the country for a QMS sustainability benchmarking project. And that is working with farmers, uh, looking at beef and sheep farmers, benchmarking their carbon audits alongside their economic performance. Um, And yeah, day to day, I'll do, like you just said, Robert, I'll do videos and podcasts and all sorts of material about about grazing management and and sheep production, basically. Yeah, and are you seeing a big change, Poppy, in your your job or, or the, the demand for your type of low cost system, given the rise in feed prices, fertilizer prices, and you know massive inflation across the whole industry? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so I joined SAC back in twenty sixteen, and back then I would talk about rotational grazing and forage based systems, and. Um, it was met with some resistance, I would say. Um, it is perhaps um, more challenging. It requires a little bit more thought. It's more complicated, but it's um, lower cost. Uh, but back then, people were still, some in some years, uh, more profitable with the high cost, high output type systems. So I wouldn't have said back then sort of 2017, 2018, that there was necessarily a right answer. But I think there is a right answer now. I think with higher costs of inputs, um, we should be looking to make as much as possible from forage to, to um, so that that gross margin. So we're left with some profit margin at the end of the day. I mean, it's interesting looking even last year, probably those high cost systems performed pretty well last year because of you know, input costs were relatively low and land price was extraordinarily high. You know, those traditional high cost systems were really performing well. But I think what we know looking into next year and the beauty with the sheep system, so I spend a lot of my time looking at beef, but the sheep system, you can alter the system within the year. And certainly 
I think for a lot of people, later lambing, a focus on grass is an absolute no-brainer for for lambing 2023 um, to try and you know to try and hold on to some of the money we're going to make. Yeah, you're right. I mean, looking at the profitability, like I just mentioned, the QMS sustainability benchmarking. If we so that was year ending. 21 October 21 if we put in 2022 prices the rankings of those businesses would change uh, much more in favor like so even last year higher feed dependency businesses ranked pretty well um whereas this year I think the rankings would change yeah I'm finding it really interesting looking at you know looking around the country a lot of what you know we've been forced to become more efficient by cost you know cost constraints and there's a lot of people rotational grazing in their own in their own way it's not necessarily a hectare paddocks with three poly wires and things but they're just you know they're closing gates and they're they're mobbing stock up and you know it seems to be performing really pretty well and and i think it's important for farmers not to be scared to make up their own hybrid system and and but just start to think about how to how to tighten things up Definitely. I think all too often we get bogged down in the definition of how things should be. And uh, we get bogged down in there being a right and wrong answer. And I don't think that's the case when it comes to grazing. Um, Just Mm -hmm. splitting a field in half is a really good starting point and moving stock between two halves. Or like you say, bringing animals together from, say, across a number of fields and moving them around the fields. It doesn't necessarily need to be daily shifts techno style grazing although there are benefits you know yeah you still get benefits from moving them more frequently um, in terms of utilization but the biggest jump is moving from set stocking to some sort of lax rotational grazing as i call it yeah and if the principle if you keep the principle in your mind you know you don't need to read a textbook to understand that if you graze it graze it quickly and give it a rest you know move them on get give it a rest let it come away again then graze it quickly again you know if you've got that in your head you, can, you know you, you've got a not to belittle what you do poppy because it's there's a lot of science Absolutely. and a lot of stuff in it but certainly from a, a practical end if, yeah there's a, there's a simple option here so i think so yeah let's see. it's good so what about this year you're seeing obviously poppy farmers across the country sheep system you know a fairly kind spring good winter are sheep farmers generally pretty happy with where they're at yeah it's hard to say i was thinking i was feeling pretty comfortable going around the country until yesterday across in fife uh they're drying up on sandy soils they're drying up so i think some it's probably turning into that mixed bag as we often call it (laughs) on the the west coast Uh, on the east coast it's it seems to be getting a bit drier far east i guess yeah um but yeah for many it's been a kind of spring and and it's a good job because there's been a lot of things like not having access to certain antibiotic products um some vaccinations we've struggled with nitrogen fertilizer being so expensive it's a good job the weather's been relatively kind to us we are seeing in the west amazing grass growth you know un- unprecedented grass growth probably and off, off the back of less nitrogen going on as well it's just amazing how um 
it has worked this year. But I think there's also the danger of going forward, getting complacent that yeah. this year so far has been exceptionally growthy here, but that's not necessarily going to happen next spring or the spring after it. Yeah, I always say it's really dangerous to plan on next year based on the current year, as we always, as we know, um, the likelihood of these conditions happening again next year are slim. Um, these, these are one of our good years and we can benefit and, and be very fortunate for those transitioning perhaps uh, from a higher cost system to a lower cost system. It's, we can be grateful for a year like this, but we must make sure we plan for a more as I say, sort of fictional type average year um, so that if conditions are poorer, that we've got some um, scope to to improve. Yeah. What about moving to multi-species swords and things, Poppy? Is, is there is that, are we talking about it a lot or are you seeing it happening a lot? Mm. So speaking to the seed merchants, uh, Scott Sheep, a couple of weeks ago, they were saying that's what they are selling a lot of. Um, there was good research coming out of um, UCD, University College Dublin, I believe, um, basically showing the benefits of multi-species swords for lamb growth rates, for reduced anthelmintic usage, for reduced fertilizer usage. Um, so they do have a role um, when in a, when it comes to sustainability. I would say we've got to be wary that some of these species don't persist well in our Scottish climate. Um, so it's worth just having that conversation with the merchant to make sure you're not buying stuff that's just going to be gone in a year or so's time. Um, and looking at what survives quite well naturally. So we know plantain seems to work quite well naturally on our verges. So that's an indication that it'll do quite well in a mix. Um, chicory, it does seem to have value, but you will Ten, you'll be lucky to have it after three years. Um, it's quite difficult to get that to persist for a long time. Um, and then I would say a lot of the time, concentrating on um, getting clover into the sword will have a big benefit. Red clover, again, that's a good one too. If you're talking um, resilience to weather extremes, these species, red clover and chicory, have got that deep tap root to capture that the nutrients in the water lower down in the soil profile. Um, I would say the persistence one is a key issue when weighing up the cost of these mixes. Um, because if you're weighing it up against like um, a red clover type pasture or a, just a white clover and grass pasture, which will have that persistency if managed well, you want to make sure that you get that lamb growth benefit in those first couple of years to be cost beneficial. Mm -hmm. I just wonder sometimes, you know, before we start with multi-species swords, and I, I'm sold on them, like I, I think mm. that I can see all the benefits of them, but there's a lot of farms where we need to focus on the fundamentals, basically focus on lime and phosphate. Yeah. And actually, if we, if we can sort a lot of the fertility issue on that farm, tighten up the grazing thing, do we actually need to be putting seed in the ground? Yeah, I mean, clover is more sensitive to poor soil fertility um, due to the nature of what well, white clover's rooting nature, so a uh, root structure. So getting the pH right and the P and Ks right will take you a long way to encouraging that natural clover bank if there is that in the soil already. And then I always say grazing management as well. 
um, making sure it's grazed tight enough, particularly in the spring, so that clover can get that competitive advantage against the ryegrass. Um, so grazing to that sort of five centimetre mark, so the clover gets gets our foothold, uh, will benefit that as well. Um, I'm all a fan, always a fan of trying to keep these species in the sward longer versus um, potentially, well, either sowing new species or turning over the soil and losing potential um, soil carbon and things. I'm always a fan of keeping the species and maintaining them using the animals as naturally as possible. It's the cheapest way too. So in order of priority, number one, for species in the sward, in order of priority, number one, get your soil health right. So like you say, liming, PK and soil structure. And then number two, get grazing right. That's your cheapest way to, to influence the species composition in the sward. And then finally, then it's the reseeding. So from soil health, grazing, then reseeding is that my sort of priority state, my priorities there. So Poppy, you're obviously a, a glutton for punishment uh, alongside your uh, consultancy role with SEC. You're also studying for a PhD and certainly is very relevant to a grassland systems and, and looking forward into, uh, you know, the climate change targets and things, your PhD is certainly going to be very relevant. So do you want to maybe just run through roughly what, what you're looking at and what your, mm. you know, some of your findings so far? Yeah, I'm really interested in soil carbon sequestration under grasslands. We know that it's something we need to get better at. Um, we need to gain better understanding of for livestock systems. It's an important part of the equation that is probably not captured well enough um, in the sort of carbon audits at the moment. Um, so I have got three farms and they're doing um, three different forms of grazing. So one farm set stocking, one farm is doing rotational grazing and one farm is doing mob grazing. So mob grazing is slightly, well, it's about three month rest period versus under set, uh, rotational grazing. You know, a, a sort of guideline rest period is around three weeks. So that's the big difference between the two. And I'm looking at the carbon buildup uh, in the arable rotation. So we know arable soils have less carbon than grass and soils, and that carbon builds up with time under grass. And I want to understand whether one form of grazing, whether grazing impacts that buildup of carbon. Um, so I just collected the baseline data in October, and I'm just looking at I'm just looking at some of it in the lab at the moment. Um, and it is quite interesting, considering it's just baseline and the future years will be of more interest. Um, but it is showing that, because we know texture has a big influence on the results, the sand, silt and clay content, um, because carbon will um, bind, I guess, with the, the clay and the silt, the fine silt and clay content. Um, and it is interesting because it's going beyond what we would have expected uh, based on the silt and clay content. Um, on some farms, it's going beyond that expectation. So it's proving interesting even at a baseline level. But watch this space. More interest to come. Yeah, I'm sure, you know, I'm not alone as a farmer, Poppy, to say that there's a lot of PhD titles and things that 
are quite a long way from where, you know, they seem a long way from the farmer. They seem, you know, how is this relevant to a a, a normal in, in the field farmer? But I know that the one you're doing certainly has potential to be a real game changer for the whole industry and certainly something that I know us, NFU and, and many others are, are really looking forward to seeing the results of, of the soil carbon story because it certainly comp- you know I did hear an, a good analogy of you know farming we're being if you were a sports team we're being judged by our defense while not looking at our offense you know we're 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 looking at what we're producing but we're not looking at what we're or we're not we don't know enough about what we're sequestering so I think the more work in this area that's being done the better and, and I'm sure it'll be welcomed by the um, soil is a big everyone. part of the solution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's. I, I think the one without getting too political, it is a. It's a big part of the solution to making food production look better and and show the the positive things that farmers are doing. I worry when it's a solution for other industries. Um, if you think about it, farmers are doing. I mean, food production prior primarily but there's so many other things that farmers are doing so it's it's one part of the services that farmers are providing but i absolutely agree when it's on the, the offsetting for other industries and i am um, a little bit more dubious yeah yeah and does the so you touched on um the kind of mob grazing a uh, long grass long rest rest periods do we know much about the impact for biodiversity for that too? Because obviously we're getting questioned on that one a lot as farmers as well. Um, in the research, it's sort of mixed. Um, some research showed like ground nesting birds uh, did worse. This is in America, I should say. Um, but they didn't do so well with taller grass grazing. Um, if you think about it, it's, it's more uniform, whereas under set stocking, the landscape is perhaps um, a little bit more uh, diverse in, in terms of, of different grasses and grass heights across the landscape. Um, but in terms of species, um, observations, anecdotal observations, would seem that a lot of the mob grazing farmers are seeing more grass species flower, um, and that has knock-on impacts on biodiversity as well. And I think it kind of goes beyond a lot of the farmers that are doing mob grazing are doing a lot of other things as well it's more of a kind of a, a mindset to improving biodiversity on the farm as well so it's quite difficult to disentangle the grazing method versus other things they might be doing as well yeah and i suppose i mean a lot of it's driven with you know, driven by the holistic principles and, and looking at all the resources, all the uh, impacts that your business has, and there's certainly a lot of uh, a lot of good work done in the holistic management area, uh, and certainly a lot of good stuff can be drawn into more conventional systems from these systems as well. I always think mm-hmm. um, deferred grazing is a great opportunity to kind of bring in some of the holistic principles to the sort of um, more sort of standard rotational grazing side of things. Um, has been worked on in New Zealand, which shows the benefit of deferred grazing um, to soil health, to the water storage in the soil. Um, and then also that benefits the grass tillering as well. So it does diff- um, does influence the species in the sward. And also we're seeing some good results. Again, just 
sort of observations, but on those that deferred um, defer the hill, they tend to find a lot of more flowering wildflowers and butterflies and bird fauna as a result of resting the grass over the hill and then grazing it through the winter. Yeah, I remember you and I went to visit Giles Henry one day and uh, to basically to look at his system and, and to, uh, particularly for me, was to see the deferred hill scenario and what an amazing place for, you know, bird watching enthusiasts and everything. You know, it's an, an amazing resource, the way he's got it managed and, and he's exploiting it as much as he can. You know, that's his silage pit for the winter, but for the summer it becomes a, you know, it's a, a real haven for a uh, biodiversity. Yeah, he's he's turned it on its head on its head because he used to, or not he. It, prior to him, it was grazed tightly through the summer, and then there wasn't much produced through the winter. So by turning it on its head, he's achieved yeah these benefits to the wildlife, but also like you say, that's that feed resource through the winter, which is saving him all that money in in wintering costs for his cow herd. Yeah, and we do have a few resources and things uh, on the FAS website, a few videos with um, Giles involved and, and certainly well worth a man that's uh, the knowledge he's got and developed over the years is well worth well worth listening to. Um, so just to highlight them that they're there. Um, just finally, Poppy, this is a, a bit of a crystal ball question, but where, so obviously the industry's changing and there is, or there are a lot of, producers really pretty worried at the moment as to where the job's going where do you you've obviously got a foot in the consultancy camp and a foot in the carbon and research camp as well where do you see this industry being in maybe 20 years time what does the future of sheep production in Scotland look like I think um, hard hill farmers they are struggling and I think um, there's going to be less emphasis on just the food production of these hill farmers and it'll be more emphasis on these other public goods that they provide. So things of the like the landscape hydrology, things like soil carbon and um, the biodiversity benefits and just the general maintaining the landscape as it is. Um, whereas... Perhaps for the, the lowland picture or the upland picture, it's going to be farmers that potentially produce it as low cost as possible. We might end up seeing uh, increases in flocks sizes on the lowlands and uplands in a bid to kind of spread the fixed costs over a greater, greater quantity of output. Um and yeah, more grass-based, better utilisation of grass. So there's one thing that we've got really going for us is that we're really good at producing grass and there's a really good opportunity to utilise that more. So I think it's a bit of a mixed bag depending on the nature of the landscape you farm. Um, but yeah, like I say, uh, perhaps in the lowlands, because the global demand is increasing and also the global supply of sheep meat has decreased in the last few years. Um, so there is opportunity there. Yeah, and I think in COVID, right right through this last Brexit, COVID, Ukraine, you know, challenging period of time, I think the value of 
farmers, all that we do. You know, I, I don't feel that we're under the same political pressure that we were maybe three years ago. Um, you know, I think there is a realization that certainly the, the the stark realization in the last few months has been that we we need to eat, we need to produce stuff, and if we can produce it, we need to do it sustainably and and sensitively. But we need to produce it. So, I'm like you, Poppy. I think the the dynamics of the industry will change, but I think there's a, there's a definite need for production and and a and a real pretty bright future for for the red meat sector as a whole. Yeah, and I think yes, there's pressure on consumers perhaps reducing meat consumption, but I don't think that necessarily be a bad thing when we're producing what's deemed quality meat. When you look at where it's produced and how it's produced, so if people are paying more for quality but reducing, I don't think that's a bad thing for the Scottish red meat production industry. Yeah, and and I also wonder whether. Going forward, we, I mean, we mentioned sustainable has been the word sustainable has been completely hijacked by the the carbon world, and and actually, you know, sustainable sustainability is is very much about carbon, but it's about a lot of other things too. And if you look at the apparently more carbon sustainable options of pig and poultry sector at the moment, do you know that there's there's major issues there with regard to you know almost food security as can we continue to pump that amount of cereal into livestock systems? And I, I don't think I don't think we can. First of all, I don't think we can afford to do it. And second of all, um, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's maybe is it a right use of resources? A different question, but certainly from a beef sheep scenario, the if we can do more from what we are producing on farm with our own resources, what have we got to worry about? Yeah, I mean, obviously, we're probably both a bit biased here, Robert. Um, but um, <laughs> when we think about beef and sheep, if you're looking at it as human inedible into human edible conversion, um, it looks more efficient. When you look at it in that regard, um, compared to poultry and pigs, um, whereas more of the, their diet is human edible as opposed to beef and sheep. And so if we're looking at it in that way, all of a sudden red meat production does look more efficient. And I think the caveat for me as well is we need a vibrant poultry and pig sector. We do need these products. We They are going to be there. It's just for a while we were looking at a move away from beef and sheep into you know all of these much more intensive sectors. And I think that we've talked about diversity of swords and things earlier we need a diversity of diet so we need locally produced pigs poultry beef lamb milk we need everything so you know i think there's there's a lot of reasons in, in all sectors to be pretty buoyant at the moment and and realize that politicians are talking about us again that's good yeah diversity is the answer i like that yeah in all things in yes. all things so uh, speaking, I suppose, on that one, diversity, I'm sure you've got a myriad of different things you need to get on with today, Poppy. So that has been has been really interesting. Certainly, I've thoroughly enjoyed it and we'll look forward to catching up with you uh, in the very near future. Great. Thank you very much. If you enjoyed listening to Stock Talk, you may enjoy some of our other podcasts, such as Crofting Matters, which is a 12-part monthly show that discusses all things crofting in Scotland, including livestock management. 
You may also enjoy our new podcast, Agriculture, which tells the stories of some interesting and influential people in the agricultural industry. Just search Crofting Matters or Agriculture wherever you get your podcasts from. The Farm Advisory Service Podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government.